From the beaches of the Pacific Ocean to the snow-capped peaks of the Rocky Mountains, these are the stories that unite 12 institutions in a shared commitment to excellence bound by the Western spirit of innovation and opportunity. Welcome to The Summit, the official podcast of the Mountain West. Here is your host, Jesse Kurtz. Well, what a pleasure it is to spend some time today with a trailblazer in the sports broadcasting business, Jenny Kavnar of AT&T Sportsnet in Denver, who this season became the first woman to do a play-by-play on a big league broadcast in 25 years. Jenny, thanks for making time for us here on the summit. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll talk about your historic night here in a bit, but let's go back to where this whole dream began. You grew up in a baseball family. Your dad's a Hall of Fame coach at the high school ranks in Colorado. Your brother played collegiate baseball at Pepperdine. What was it like for you growing up around a ball field in Denver? You know, it's funny. Everyone always asks when I fell in love with the game of baseball, and I always say I didn't have a choice. I was born into the game of baseball for sure. From a very early age, some of those memories are just, you know, at a baseball field with my dad coaching, with my brother playing. Um, eventually me picking up and playing softball. We were always at a field in Colorado. Like that was our summers. Um, you know, trips were in Pueb- to Pueblo, trips were to Grand Junction. <laughs> Those are the hot spots we got to go to because they all revolved around baseball tournaments. So um, for me, it really was just part of our family and what we did. And um, I think as time went on and I look back, I'm really grateful that that was my upbringing, being a coach's kid, uh, getting to dissect games with my dad, talk strategy, um, and just, you know, watch him not only as a coach but really about relationship building and what being part of a team means and I think that was just such a really cool foundation. At what point did you start dreaming of being a sports broadcaster and what inspired you to look into that? Yeah when I was in high school um, my dad and I were watching Monday Night Football I think I was a junior in high school and Melissa Stark came on she was a sideline reporter at the time Um, and it was really the first time that it clicked for me like seeing a woman uh, you know, on the field doing a game. It was my passion. It was sports, and she's on television. And I was just like, wow, that would be a neat job. And I looked at my dad. I'm like, I think that's what I want to do. And we're both so naive about, you know, the process of how to get into it. And he's like, yeah, I think you could do that. And um, from that day, and I think it was probably in 1998, started dreaming it and uh, went to Colorado State and got, got involved pretty quickly. Why Colorado State? I mean, you're obviously in Colorado, but your your options were endless. Why was Colorado State the place that you ultimately decided upon? Yeah, I really wanted to play lacrosse in college, and I started to look at some D3 schools and uh, kind of, you know, really wanted to get out of Colorado. I wanted to go somewhere and dream this big dream, and my brother was at Pepperdine, as you mentioned, and I mean, come on, that's like living in Malibu. That seemed like a great place to go to college. So, it really came down to the last day, and I don't know why, but I was like, oh, I'll just, I guess I'll go to CSU. You know, I can play club lacrosse there. Um, I was uh, in the business school, and I thought that would be a great option. Little did I know it was the perfect place for me to be in Fort Collins and all the opportunities I'd have in radio and TV to get my start. I didn't even know those existed yeah. until I got on campus. The, the journalism program and the broadcasting um, tools that you have at your disposal at Colorado State, really, it's a hidden gem. It's one of the premier programs, in my opinion, in, in the country. What were you involved in at CSU that helped pave the way for where you are today? Yeah, well, like I said, I was in the business school. I was definitely on that track. I was a marketing major, and I was going for it. And I ran into this guy, Dave Althaus, who's now uh, at Fox 31 as the chief photographer there. And he, you know, he's like, yeah, if you want to get involved in CTV, campus television, you know, come find me. And 
And it was just really this innocent interaction in the lunchroom by Corbett Hall where, you know, I'm like, yeah, I, I guess I should do that. And I popped in and I was like, oh, my gosh, like all these people know what they're doing already. They're already in television. Like they're making things happen. I got to get involved. So that was kind of my introduction to CTV. Um, I realized at that point I should probably also major in, you know, journalism or communication. And I decided to take the communication route. So I double majored in college. And I think it was really beneficial to stay in the business school for me. It kind of, I, I definitely had a huge workload between that and playing lacrosse and uh, trying to get involved in CTV. And on top of that, I took a job at the local radio station that covered Colorado State football. And I was really lucky to have that opportunity. Brian Roth, who's the voice of the Rams now, he played baseball for my dad at Smoky Hill growing up. And um, my dad made the connection and Brian gave me an internship and an opportunity to kind of help out. Um, at that point, I got to meet the late, great Rich Berkhamshaw, and he really encouraged me to find my voice and to find something that was mine and unique. And so I talked the two of them into letting me be the prep reporter uh, for the radio station. And every week I would connect with the local high school coaches and go do interviews. And I'd come back and I'd put together my little five-minute segment that would run on Fridays. Um, it was just such a great teaching tool for me, and I'm so grateful that they just kind of gave it to me and let me go and learn my own way in it. You then graduate in 2004. Yep, 2004. Where does your career take you from there? Well, it was really neat. Um, playing lacrosse, we made it to uh, the Club Lacrosse Nationals that year, and it was the first year they were being broadcasted on television by a startup company, CSTV, College Sports Television, which has now turned into what CBS Sports is. And um, through just a mentor that I had at ESPN Magazine, she happened to know who was producing those games. So she connected us, and this is how quote-unquote old we are, is I sent my VHS tape, my reel, to him, and uh, he hired me as a student sideline reporter. So he said, if you know your team doesn't make it on uh, to the finals, well, why don't you do sidelines for us? And so that was really ended up being an audition. And I flew to New York, and I interviewed with them that summer, um, and I got a job with them in 2004 as their sideline reporter for college football. It lasted two games before they cut their budget uh, in half and cut a lot of people, but I did finish out my contract with them doing national championships for, um, you know, water polo and rugby, and I saw these different sports that, I, you know, you wouldn't typically see, which was pretty cool, but it, it really kind of was this high feeling coming out of school going, oh my gosh, I have my dream job, I'm a national sideline reporter, to really bringing me back down to earth of like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now, I'm, I'm Freelancing. I've moved to California at this point thinking I'll be traveling for work all the time. Um, and I ended up having to take a job in Flint, Michigan, which was great. I went to a local market and um, covered everything, you know, from high school sports to the Detroit Pistons. And I was shooting games. I was shooting college football games at the big house. It was crazy. And um, that path just kind of led me to really refocus. What do I want to do? Flint, Michigan isn't the, the greatest place to live in America. And I did enjoy my job and what I did, but at the end of the day, it was a really hard year for me, and that was in 2005, and I took the choice to move back to California. I coached lacrosse at UCLA. I did some freelance jobs, 
Um, but, you know, as, as fun as that time was as well, I knew I wanted to be in TV full time. And I was lucky enough to get an interview down in San Diego uh, with the station that was the home of the San Diego Padres. And that's really where my big dream began that I didn't even know existed. You know, I think when I saw Melissa Stark way back when, I wanted to be a football reporter because that's what you saw. That was the representation of women mostly in TV at the time. Regional sports networks really hadn't begun when I was in high school for covering baseball. So I didn't even realize that there was this whole team of people out there that covered one team for 162 games. Um, So when I got that job in San Diego, it was pretty special to look around and go, oh, like this is what I was meant to do growing up in a baseball family. And now, 12 years later, um, it's still pretty awesome. What was that like for you when you got hired to work San Diego Padres um, baseball games as a sideline dugout reporter to then be involved with the game you've known your entire life at the highest level? Was that surreal for you? Did you really say, is this really happening? Yeah, I did. Because I think, you know, I got the job. It was such a whirl when I was moving to San Diego, which is just, I mean, in and of itself a dream to live in San Diego. And I'm at Petco Park. I'm on the field. I remember it was pregame. Padres, Dodgers, electric atmosphere. Um, The Padres were coming off, you know, some pretty good seasons in the mid-2000s. And... I just, yeah, I had a pinch me moment of like, this is my job. I work in Major League Baseball, and I'm doing television like I wanted to do. I'm on the field. I'm interviewing players. Like, this is amazing. And even at that point, I had no idea where I was about to go and what, you know, this path would take me um, or where this path would take me. So it, it was that, that's a cool cool looking like starting point of, a, of another dream and then it gets better i would assume in 2012 you have the opportunity to move to denver your hometown to be a part of the team that you grew up watching was that a no-brainer for you i mean you lived in san diego that's one of the best cities in the world but you have a chance to come home and be a part of the rockies um was that a hard decision for you? No. <laughs> it was pretty easy. I mean, it was kind of made for us. We lost our network had lost the rights to the Padres. So at that time, we were a local. Uh, it was called Channel 4 San Diego. We were owned by Cox Cable. And they lost the rights. Fox had come in to start Fox Sports San Diego. Uh, I was at an intersection in my career anyways because we were all being laid off. Um, Fox Sports West had hired me that fall winter to do the Anaheim Ducks. So I was traveling up to Orange County. Um, there was a possibility that that might extend into some Dodgers games so I could stay in California, which would have been great. But, yeah, when Alana Rizzo left in 2012 or the, the end of 2011, um, I was lucky enough. We all worked in the same division, and I had a lot of relationships yeah. here. Uh, and I felt really blessed that, that just the timing worked. I never thought about coming home because all of the great women working in this market and even just a lot of the great men working in this market were from Colorado. Why would you ever leave Colorado? <laughs> Um, so I didn't know when the opportunity, if it, if or when it would ever come, and um, to happen then was was really special. And then to move back to Denver, you know, a, a place I grew up and loved and had changed so much at the same time in the eight years that I had been gone. It was like moving to a new city and, and rediscovering it all over again. After working as the sideline and dugout reporter and pre- and post-game host for the Rockies in April, you get the, the call to move into the broadcast booth to do play, uh, play-by-play. Take me through that decision, how you found out, your initial thoughts, and the lead-up to that game. 
Yeah, I think we have such a special crew here. I feel really lucky from just our on-air talent to, you know, the producers, directors, all the people behind the scenes. We really do have what we call a family. I mean, 162 games, you're traveling together. It's it's intense. You guys are together a lot. And so I feel really lucky that they were looking, you know, Drew Goodman does such a fantastic job and only takes off a handful of games. So our our um, our team of, of producers was really looking to kind of fill that internally. How can we just keep our talent together and our broadcast team together and uh, do something different. And I really credit them for that. I think baseball is such a traditional sport. And as we move forward, um, it's about finding the next generation and keeping them involved in the game. And how do we do that? And so um, it initially was talks of, let's do a variety of things. And they tried that with Jeff Houston and Ryan Spielberg's doing an analyst-only game. And then I knew at some point I would get my opportunity because we had you know talked about all this in the offseason. Uh, I had a chance to call a game at spring training, which was so much fun. But spring training is a different game in and of itself. And um, come April, Drew was coaching his kids' high school team, and um, we knew he'd have to take off, you know, last minutes for some games. And I find out on a Sunday morning that you know Drew's going to need to take Monday off. And are you available? Are you ready to call a game? So it was um, it was a little over 24 hours <laughs> of preparation time, but um, at the same time. You know, I look back and I think I've been preparing for this for a long time. Not that I've had the practice of doing play-by-play and calling games, but um, I knew at the end of the day I had to rely on the fact I, I know how to do TV and I know baseball, and let's see what that sounds like. All athletes and broadcasters have that that signature moment. You never know when it's going to come, and yours comes pretty quick into the broadcast. Bottom of the first, Nolan Arenado hits a a home run to left field, and you react with what? <laughs> Fire up the fountains. She gone. <laughs> it was definitely crazy. And that ball is shot in the left field. Fire up the fountains. She's gone. I love it. I love it. Fire up the fountains. There they come. It was genius. I mean, it, it really was reference to the – the fountains in, in Coors Field, in, in center field. Um, did you rehearse that? Did you, did you think that you wanted to say that? Was that off the cuff? How did that come about? Because it has become, it personifies who you are and forever will. <laughs> it's, it is. It's crazy. Um, I think you know, as any broadcaster, we all joke about what would your home run call sure. be if you had the opportunity. I've never had one that sticks in our jokingness up in the press box of like, you know, what would you do here? What would you call? That day that I found out I was calling the game, um, it was a Sunday, Charlie Blackman hit a home run, and I tweeted something about the fountains, and it clicked in my head. I said, that's it. I'm going to use that. And Corey Sullivan, being so great, being such a good teammate, uh, he's our analyst on pre-post, he asked me, um, you, you, you know, what is it? What's your call going to be tomorrow? You've got to practice for me because I don't want you to embarrass yourself. <laughs> so we practiced a little bit. And whatever I originally had, I can't remember. But, you know, he's like, eh, that's okay. And gosh, I mean, right? Just hit you in the face with some honesty, which was great. So him and I started just kind of spitballing. And out of that came Fire Up the Fountains. The ball goes to left field. I understand that maybe you have gotten that ball back. <laughs> yeah, I just got it back this week. Um, really crazy. Uh, the guy that caught it, his daughter, she's a huge Rockies fan. She's 14 years old. Um, she's been to almost 700 Rockies games, if you can believe that. And she really wanted to get the ball back to me, which was so awesome and very sweet of her. And she'd reached out on Twitter, I guess. And uh, as you can imagine, after that game, I, I had a lot of people reach out. And I feel terrible because I like to interact with fans and get 
get back. But I, I missed her comment somehow, and um, she went through Tracy Ringlesby, who obviously a longtime standing fixture covering the Rockies, uh, was gracious enough to, to respond to her. And, you know, he got to me and said she, she wants to meet up. And so they came up to the postgame set this week, and she brought me the ball. She had it in a case, and uh, it's really special. It's cool. It's a cool memento for me to remember that first game. There's many layers to that. One, young girl reaching out to broadcast. I'm sure she very much looks up to you. How cool is that? And then number two, where is the ball? Where does it sit now? Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. We still got to find a place for it, I guess. Uh, we have some cool, you know, over the years, I think I've collected some cool memorabilia um, from work in different moments and pictures and stuff. And um, I don't want them to collect dust. I want them to end up in a cool room. It's just you know, with having a new baby and <laughs> a lot of furniture moving anyways uh, to make room for him as he continues to crawl all over the house, um, I'll, have to find, I'll have to find a special place for it. After that game, the, the first game that you call, uh, you've driven home from the stadium many a times, and I'm sure it's, it's like Groundhog Night over and over again. How different was that drive home from the ballpark that night after all the emotion, all the anticipation, and the game is finally over and you sign off? The drive home, how different was that? You know, I think I'll just go back to that beginning of wanting to do this and how naive my dad and I were in our living room and him telling me, yeah, you can go do this. I felt that naive that night. We've been talking about it as a group for so long of how cool this would be. I have such amazing teammates, guys that played years and years of Major League Baseball that have always encouraged me in this direction and said, you know the game just like we do. You didn't play, but you can do this. And I've heard that from them for so long that stepping in the booth that night, being with them, of course I was nervous. Of course there were things I, I didn't know were coming and learning on the fly, but we all had so much fun together. And you're right, it was this huge high. And I knew the historical context of it would, would grab a little media attention, a little traction. We had no idea uh, the national attention it was going to get and what was going to happen. So all of us, I think, were leaving the broadcast booth um, rejuvenated. You you know, you go through, as you mentioned, Groundhog's Day, 162 yeah. of these. Um, but there are moments throughout the season that really fire you up, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And that was one of those nights. And we all actually went out as a crew. It was really fun. We just, you know, went to, to cheers each other for what a fun, different night that was. And we're sitting at Blake Street Tavern, and on the screens, Scott Van Pelt comes on with this huge picture of me from the Internet from, like, 2007. Um, and we're like, what? And they're playing the highlights. And, you know, it was a cool moment to get a share with my colleagues. Um, so, yeah, that drive home felt a little different that night. Anyone reach out to you that surprised you, caught you off guard? So many people. So many people. Um, I'll, I'll start with just the fa- I mean, Billie Jean King tweeted me, which was crazy. Yeah. Um, people from around the league, players, uh, managers, different broadcasters I really respect. That was overwhelming, and that was really cool. But I think at the end of the day, what felt most special was just, you know, fans reaching out, congratulating me, sending me videos of their little girls watching the game, friends um, sending me texts of, you know, we're so proud of you, and my little girl watched a baseball game with me for the first time last night. Like, that felt really special. I knew that, that we had changed the dynamic and again, I just I went back to that representation, and I went back to seeing Melissa Stark, and knowing that more women are being visible on TV, and now that next generation of little girls um, can possibly dream bigger dreams. 
I don't, I don't think I can overstate this. You're a hero in in the broadcasting business for for women and for men, frankly, for those trying to break in. They're waiting for their shot. Has that set in that that you're you're being looked at as a trailblazer and a pioneer and a hero in the sports broadcasting business? No, it hasn't. And you know, I, I really appreciate that, but. I look at so many other women as trailblazers. You know, you go back to the 60s when women were just trying to get in a locker room to do the same job that a man does and just get a quote so they could write an article. Um, I think those women are trailblazers to just, you know, start to break down those barriers um, to have equality uh, in journalism. And I was fortunate enough to work with Beth Moens. In fact, one of those CSTV games that I got put on uh, was field hockey championships, and Beth was calling it. And that was in 2000. That was the fall of 2004. And now here we are 14 years later, and Beth Moens is calling the NFL. I mean, she has worked her tail off. Uh, to do play-by-play. That was her dream. And it's really, really special to be able uh, to look at her and how far she's come. And just so many women across the board uh, that are able to, again, break down the barriers, you know, start new dreams for little Mm -hmm. girls. That's special. And if I'm even considered in that conversation, um, I'm really blown away by that. Because you are on that platform and you do have a voice, what advice do you have to young Jenny Kavnar, who is eight years old, watching football and says, I want to do that? What do you tell them? How do they go about that? I just tell them to keep being confident. You know, I think um, I was a nerdy little kid who just loved sports and, you know, loved being around the guys. And um, I'm so glad that I had parents that encouraged that, you know, and I would hope for any other little girl dreaming out there that their parents would encourage them, that their peers would encourage them. Um, long time ago, I, my friend Ashley Nordine and I were the only girls on our t-ball team, and, you know, the, all the boys were like, you can't hit, you can't be here, and I'm so glad they did that because I, at an early age, developed a chip on my shoulder, like, watch me. Yes, I can. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood with all boys. I always wanted to be out there with them in the mix, playing football, playing basketball. Um, I I think, again, just being in those situations, I'm really glad there were people, even if it was just one person in that big crowd, that encouraged you to say, yeah, you can do that. Go do that. And I hope that with this next generation, we all are doing that for girls, whether it's, you know, they want to dream a big dream of being a play-by-play sports broadcaster or they want to be the CEO of a company, um, whatever it is, to just have one person in your life to encourage you. Believe that person and just keep being confident. You have a, uh, one of those those people at home. Your, your husband, Steve, is also a baseball guy, played in the White Sox organization. You also are a new mom, beautiful baby boy. His name is Vincent. How did you settle on the name? (laughs) Um, You know, I think for both of us, because my husband played baseball, because I've covered baseball for so long, when we found out we were having a boy, you start the name discussion, and I'd bring up a name. He goes, that was a teammate here. He'd bring up a name. No, I covered a weird guy with that name there. So it's really hard to come up, um, settle upon a boy's name. My husband's family is Italian, and he really wanted to go that direction. So um, I... 
Love Vin Scully. I always have. My husband grew up a Dodger fan. He loves Vin Scully. And I remember a couple of years ago as Vin's career was winding down, um, he was always so generous with his time and um, just always such a lovely man. You know, he was he was great at his job, obviously. He was the voice of baseball, the voice of summer for so many. Um, but just the little moments, the little interactions I got to have with him when the Padres would play the Dodgers or the Rockies would play the Dodgers in my career, he was just so kind and warm and wonderful. And I remember walking away from a conversation a couple of years ago thinking, wow, it would be really neat to have to, to have a son and body mm-hmm. um, those values and those characteristics. And I love the name Vin. I think it's awesome. So we decided to name our son after Vin Scully. And, you know, Vin, Vin's name is Vincent. And um, but Vincent can be of the Italian descent. And my husband was like, let's name him Vincenzo. And we didn't go that far. But um, yeah, that's where it came from. So it's really, I feel, I feel it's really cool that we were able to do that. Oh, Vinny, your son has been to, I think, more major league ballparks than most baseball fans will ever dream uh, of, of attending. And he's a year old? Not even. Not even. Yeah, he's 10 months old and he's been on 15 flights. He's been to six states and he's been to five ballparks. How cool is it to understanding that he's not comprehending the magnitude of, of what he's experiencing now, but there will be a time where he'll look back and say, I got to experience the game of baseball, which is important to my mom, my my dad, my grandparents, the whole family unit. Baseball has been such an integral part of, of your life, and it will be his. To share those moments with him um, while you're chasing this career, it's got to be just a, a magical time. Yeah, for us right now, it's super special because we know it's the memories we're making. You know, obviously he won't remember these, but uh, don't get us wrong, Jesse. Before he's two, <laughs> before you have to start paying for those flights, we're going to fill him up with ballparks. Yeah. We're going to take all the pictures. And then when he's five and he asks why he never gets to go, we're going to show him this lovely scrapbook. Well, son, you've already been to all these. <laughs> no. Well, I hope, I hope we can, you know, I hope I can still be in this business and there can be a time when, you know, it is fresh in his mind and he he hopefully does love this game of baseball just as all of us in our family do. The broadcast business can be tough on a family. It always has been, always will be. How are you able to balance life as a new mom and a, a very important role as a broadcaster with the Major League Baseball team? Because I know there's there's a balance that has to be struck there, and you do it well. How do you strike that? Man, I, I think it takes a village for sure. I'm so grateful that my parents live close and they help out a lot. Um, I'm grateful that, you know, my husband with what he does and in, in his job of, you know, graphic design and videography, he can kind of do freelance and we can make our schedules work so that it is just family around him right now. Um, and I get to pursue my career and uh, so many people that support that. I'm really, really grateful grateful for that. Um, I think we live in a very cool, interesting time with um, Serena Williams having a baby and 10 months later going to compete in Wimbledon. Are you kidding me? Um, That's really, really inspiring for new moms. And yet she's also really open about her struggles and that balance of having a career and having a child at home and the internal struggle of what you feel that you want to keep pursuing your great career, but you feel like you're missing time with your kid. Um, it, It is a balancing act. And I just think there's so many amazing women out there that are doing it and it's really cool um, again that the next generation has such great role models uh, to find that balance of career and family. You're a daddy's girl growing up. (laughs) What does your dad think about all this that that you have become who you become in a sport that he dedicated his life to that he was super successful and now to see you 
having the uh, success that, that you've reached. What does he think about all this? Yeah, my dad's really proud, and um, you know, I was really proud of my dad growing up. So uh, I feel I, I, I don't know. It's overwhelming, really, to think about it, and we don't get to talk about it too much. But um, I know, I know that he's proud, and that makes me really proud in turn. When you're not broadcasting Rockies baseball, you're still very close to the Mountain West, um, to Colorado State. AT&T Sportsnet is a, a broadcast partner of the Mountain West. To continually put your finger on the pulse of Colorado State and San Diego State, a team that you covered when you were in San Diego, to still be around those institutions and programs and coaches that, that you kind of grew up in the broadcast business, to still be around that. Is that special for you? It's so special. I mean, those are my roots, you know, and I think with the Mountain West, um, starting in 1999, I went to college the fall of 2000, so I feel like I've really been able and been lucky to kind of follow it from, from the beginning and again, for the Mountain West to really give me my humble beginnings in college and getting to be down on the field and getting to travel to a lot of Mountain West games. Um, even when I was in San Diego covering the Padres, I did a lot of freelance work for the Mountain. And I feel like a lot of the coaches that have been around, I have some cool relationships with them, uh, especially in the college basketball scene. So I look forward to doing that in the offseason. I look forward to being around the programs, to watching them grow, to watch those coaches um, you know, grow their institutions. and. Uh, yeah, to, to be able to go up to Colorado State and still get a broadcast CSU games, um, it's special. It's, it's really special to be an alum of that program um, and to be, to be someone that's been able to cover it from almost its beginning. You're living your dream. You've reached your dream. What's next? What, what, what are you dreaming about now? What, who do you want to become in the next 10 years? You know what? It's funny. People ask, ask me that a lot. And I feel going back to that beginning in 2007, standing on a baseball field going, wow, I had no idea this was out there and I'm doing it. I don't know that I want to put out there what my next dream is because I had no idea I would ever be able to call a major league baseball game. I don't almost want to sell myself short by saying what my next dream is because I have no idea what's out there but I know this I feel really lucky to live in my hometown and to be raising our son here right now and covering the team that I grew up watching in the Colorado Rockies and to be in baseball I mean it is it's a dream come true I feel very lucky. Jenny you're a pros pro AT&T Sportsnet the Rockies are incredibly fortunate to have you me personally, I'm thrilled for your success, both personally and professionally. Proud to call you a friend and proud to call you Mountain West born and raised. You're doing amazing things, and it's it's really fun to watch and call you a friend. I'm proud to be fellow Rams with you, so <laughs> thanks. It's great. I mean, I, I feel really really fortunate for where I am and again all the people you know that we've surrounded ourselves with from from college on and watching everyone grow and uh, where they are now it's it's really special to have those relationships still so thanks so much. That's Jenny Cabin, our pioneer and trailblazer in sports broadcasting and graduate of Colorado State University. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Summit the official podcast of the Mountain West. For more episodes please subscribe to The Summit on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or TuneIn. For comprehensive coverage and information on your favorite Mountain West teams, student athletes and coaches, including how to follow along on our social media channels, please visit BMW.com, the official website of the Mountain West. Thanks again for listening to The Summit.